Hello and welcome to the Flying Carpet Podcast. I'm, oh no, wait, I'm sorry. Welcome to the Anything But Catholic Podcast. I am your host, Christopher Lawrence. With me, as always, is apologist David Cook. This is our weekly deep dive episode where we get into topics and teachings having to do with the Catholic Church. Today's topic is the works of mercy. David, how are you doing? I'm a bit disappointed. I thought today's topic was going to be uh, flying carpets. <laughs> no, we put that off because my research material, uh, Arabian Nights, has not arrived yet from the interlibrary lending program. All right, then. So we're going to have to wait. Okay, David. So, yeah, as disappointing as it is, both the Flying Carpet podcast and also our premium subscriber only William Shatner podcast. I'm going to have to wait because today we're doing the works of mercy, baby. So I guess to start, we should list the works of mercy, beginning with the corporal. Can you give us a rundown of the corporal works of mercy? Yeah. So the corporal works of mercy are to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to harbor the harborless, to visit the sick, to ransom the captive, to bury the dead. Okay. So I guess let's start where it starts. Um, let's talk a little bit about each one individually, if you don't mind. So to sure. feed the hungry, that's pretty self-explanatory, I guess, right? Well, yeah. You know, someone needs food and you're giving them food. Where does it become – I have a question for these first two, actually. So to feed the hungry and to give drink to the thirsty, do we know at what point that becomes obligatory? So in other words, if you see a – homeless person on the side of the road, you're driving down the road, they look hungry or they look thirsty. At what point are you obligated to stop? How many times are you obligated to stop? Is there a hard and fast rule for this or is it is it kind of just um, left up to prudence? I mean, I, I could be missing something, certainly. And if I'm missing something from like the great theologians and saints, then I definitely assent to what they say. But as far as I can tell, it's a matter of prudence. I mean, I don't see how I don't see how you could say you know, that there's an absolute one-size-fits-all rule that, I mean, generally speaking, if somebody, I mean, I think in general, if you can do it, it's better to give somebody food than to give them money because, you know, somebody could misuse money um, if they're, like, addicted to drugs or something. At the same time, you know, there have been times where I have given people cash if I had it, and I was kind of like, you know, if they misuse it, that's between them and God because I don't have the time or resources to really like, you know, directly get them food. Um, but I, I think it's a matter of prudence. Ultimately, I don't see any clear way around that. Right. A matter of prudence. Yeah, that makes sense. I would, I would maybe place a little more urgency on clothe the naked. If you see some naked people just running down the sidewalk, you know, <laughs> crying out loud, throw a coat on them. Like, I, I've never seen this. Well, me neither. I hope to not see this. I mean, Maybe kind of at the beach, but like, I mean, that's a bad thing. But don't go to the beach. Father Rio <laughs> says, don't go to the beach. <laughs> go when it's cold. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. I do like going to the beach when it's cold. Okay, so is 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 there anything more than to those first few that are those first three that seem to be self-explanatory? Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, and clothe the naked. They they kind of sit on their own, right? Like people. Yeah, I kind of think. I mean, you know, um, food. Clothing and shelter are kind of the most basic necessities of 
of life. And I mean, harbor the harborless. I think that's kind of I, I gather that's what it's saying, you know, to house those who are homeless, to provide with shelter. Uh, yeah, I think that, that 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 one, obviously, I think certainly is left up to prudential judgment, because I'm, I would imagine that God does not require us to or expect us to just take in every homeless person we see on the street into our house. I mean, the, there's there's um there's a proximity issue there, right? Our first duty and allegiance is to our family, our wives and children, uh, if we have them, and our home, and then extends out from there. So we have to first take care of those in our in our most proximate care that are under our power. So obviously, children, family, and then as we go, if we have the means. And you can prudently do so, then you help others. Yeah, and I think, I mean, St. Thomas talks about this. Um, and he he basically said, I mean, basically to sum it up, um, and there's a lot of material here, but basically it's not that you're necessarily bound to do all of these works all the time. But it's that these are the works of mercy and these are things that we're supposed to be doing as we're able. Not necessarily that every single person is supposed to do every single one at all times. Right. But obviously God looks with favor on those who, who at least attempt to do these when, whenever prudently possible. And and obviously I would imagine we'd give even greater blessings on those who go particularly out of their way to accomplish these things. Um and then again, visit the sick is the next one. That seems also pretty. Although, you know what? We can't even say this anymore, David, because we, we, we would have said, yeah, self-explanatory, easy enough. But now with all these stupid <sighs> restrictions, this is another reason that this that all this stuff bothers me. You can't even practically do this in a lot of states. You it can't is very, it is very interesting. Like, I think there's a very strong conflict between the way Christians historically behaved and the way that we're being encouraged to behave now. And again, I mean, I'm, I still think there's a prudence issue. I mean, you know, if you're 85 and there's a disease going around that could be very deadly to your age demographic, you have to kind of make that judgment call. But the mindset that we're being um, inculcated with right now is basically like that, you know, you can't visit the sick because if you visit the sick, you'll get sick and you'll die of COVID. And it's completely contrary to the way Christians historically thought. Um, I think that's a very good point. I would also give a corollary to this, um, although this is kind of me going off the cuff, and this would be kind of moving it out of the corporeal, but if at all possible, helping the sick to find a priest, um, I think, Mm -hmm. is a very important component of this. Um, Because you never know in your last moments, I think you mentioned Father Relier earlier, and he says this, like, you know, you never know what God's going to do in those last moments. He talked about in one of his – in one of his – lessons i think it was or teachings or or speeches i don't know what you would call it but he did a talk on the doctrine of outside the church there is no salvation he tells several stories of people who seem to visibly convert like towards the very end of their lives right yeah absolutely we never know what god's going to work in someone if they're given the opportunity but if they're not given the opportunity and it's through fault of our own i mean woe to us if we have the means to get a priest to somebody that's on their deathbed and we don't do it just because we feel like um you know, out of human respect, like we feel like, oh, it's weird. You know, maybe they don't want a priest or like I don't want to bother the priest. But that that's that's a bad look for us. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not going to come back and, and be favorable for us in the judgment. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the other very... thing to say, because I know like with a lot of this stuff, we're saying that, you know, a lot of it is up to prudence. We have to decide what we're going to do. It's not really something where, you know, we can have an absolute rule like, OK, this is what. You have to do all the time, but ultimately we're going to have to answer to the ultimate judge for our decisions in this regard. 
Right, exactly. That's the ultimate point. Okay, very good. Um, now, this one, this might be a little confusing. It, it, it is to me, anyway. So, to ransom the captive, um, is that something we can even do? Does that mean I got to go down to the jail there and pay the bail for the local uh, guy that got in the bar fight? And uh, like, what? Probably What's not that? at random, but I mean, I would certainly see this as a prudential thing to do, especially if you knew, like, you know, a Catholic brother or sister was unjustly charged with a crime or you know I, I don't know exactly what the old saints had in mind when they wrote this but i could certainly see an application for like if somebody was unjustly imprisoned um or something along those lines i can think of a very sound modern application for this actually i know that um for example I, I know we've mentioned him several times on here because he's excellent Father David Nix uh, frequently will uh, counsel and pray in abortion uh, murder centers, and he's been arrested numerous times for this and dragged out of these places. I think that if you're in the area where either Father Nix himself or you know of a priest or uh, even laity that are doing such a thing and, and they're finding themselves with all kinds of fines, with all kinds of bail money, and you have the means to assist with that, I think that's a, a, a certainly a laudable modern application of ransoming the captive. Absolutely. Okay. And then to bury the dead. So, again, I think that's seems self-explanatory, but... I don't think um, it is. I don't think it is. Yeah, well, because, because, because who do we bury? Sorry, okay. do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? No, I was, gonna, I, I was probably going to say uh, the same thing you were going to say. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So, I think this one's less self-explanatory, especially given the um, target audience of Protestants, and also because um, I think many Catholics might not know this as well. Current canon law does make some allowances for a cremation, but that is not the historical understanding of the church. Um, right. The historical understanding of the church is that it is necessary, if at all possible, to be buried. And part of that is you, if you go back to the scriptures, because a lot of people don't understand this. Like you think like because people are very utilitarian these days. Um, and by that, I mean, like kind of pragmatist or like, you know, what's most what um, leads to the most marginal utility or the most like pleasure or the most um, all sorts of different things to varying degrees. People think that the, that kind of pragmatic line of thinking is the way that we're supposed to think. And we don't think as much about things like symbols. And I think this plays into the mask issue and it also plays into, and it even, and it also plays into why burying the dead would be a work of mercy. Cause I think a lot of the times we'll think things like, okay, feeding people, clothing people, harboring them if they're homeless, visiting them if they're sick, all that stuff has like a practical application. But once you're dead, well, who cares? You can't, you can't really perceive any more of like what's happening to your body. Like it doesn't really affect you in a practical way. But if you look back at the Old Testament, it was considered a judgment um, when the wicked queen Jezebel was to, her body was to be eaten by dogs. I mean, she was obviously dead. She wouldn't have really like known necessarily if that was happening, but the desecration of your body is still considered a judgment, whereas being buried with your fathers was considered an honor. And you see this throughout, like, most of the time, unless there was some judgment. Um, if a king died in the Old Testament, he was buried with his fathers. And, and here's why this is important. I mean, ultimately, there is a resurrection. And, and so by having your body buried, you're showing a faith in the resurrection. Now, yes, if your body is cremated or if you die in a fire or, like, drown in an ocean or something like Yes, Jesus still can rise you raise your body for the second resurrection if you will, because one way or another everyone will be risen and they will be judged, um, either to heaven or to hell. But there is a symbolic faith being shown of like, okay, I believe that there is a future. My body is gonna be resurrected. 
Um, so I think basically, long story short, having your body be cremated or be mutilated or being destroyed is a dishonor. Um, it's symbolically wrong. It's and to by the other hand, to bury someone, to show someone that basic respect, um, is honoring to it's symbolically honoring to the fact that they're an image bearer of God. I would ultimately say, I mean, even if they are ultimately condemned, they still have dignity as an image bearer of God to just destroy their body. is not right. Yeah. It's important for people to hear that because I, I think there are also, unfortunately, there are these people that will choose cremation willingly as kind of, uh, or just blatantly as a sign of disbelief. They'll say, well, it doesn't matter. We're all going to just be worm food. So cremate my body because I don't believe in that nonsense. I will be honest, before I started getting into historical Christianity, when I was more of a, like, Bible Baptist, um, I kind of had the reaction of, like, well, who cares? You know, I'm dead. Um, It's obviously I'm going to be resurrected either way. You know, I mean, I did believe in the resurrection of the body, but I thought, you know, I'm going to be resurrected either way. And, you know, it's uh, like the Bible doesn't really say I can't. But once I got into Christian history, it started to bother me when I realized, you know, until recently, what happens to our bodies being really important was something that was historically understood. And I saw it in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament scriptures and also in the teachings of the church fathers and the saints. Right. And even even in the, the primary example. Even the Romans allowed the body of Jesus Christ to be taken and properly buried. Um, they didn't push the issue and just, you know, throw him on a pyre, even though he was to them an enemy of, of the state and a revolutionary and et cetera. They still yep. allowed the, the Jews to to enact their custom, which was obviously a very important custom. OK, very good. Um, so should we move on to the spiritual works then? These these I do think become more complicated and i think one of the things that makes them more complicated and more difficult and you might agree with me on this um these days is the internet so can you read through the list of the spiritual works of mercy yes so the spiritual works of mercy are to instruct the ignorant to counsel the doubtful to admonish sinners to bear wrongs patiently to forgive offenses willingly to comfort the afflicted and to pray for the living and the dead so the first five of these i would say have been exceedingly complicated by the existence of the internet. Would you agree? Uh, yeah. Um, yes, definitely. Right. Okay. So let, let, let's go through them one by one, and then maybe we could keep that in mind too. Like, what, what, what's maybe a good example of how to enact these works of mercy, and what's you know, maybe like the internet version? There's a meme, and I think, I'm, and I'm gonna share this meme because I think it makes a good point. There's this meme where. There's this man who's married and his wife is telling him, like, please come to bed. And he's sitting at the laptop and he's like, honey, I can't. There's someone who's wrong on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> I've been that <laughs> mm-hmm. many times. Um, so I, I guess ultimately, like, although it's not exactly analogous, I think, again, there is the issue of proximity. Like, just like we were talking about with a lot of the corporeal works of mercy, I think there's the issue of proximity and prudence with this as well. Um, we do have a general obligation to, as First Peter 3.15 says, you're prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks of us about the hope that we have. I think that would primarily have in mind in-person, day-to-day interactions. You know, if somebody at work asks you, you know, why am I going to Mass? What, like, why I pray the rosary? Or you can pick whatever you want. But 
I, I think that our primary obligation is not to random people on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Um, at the same time, I do see some value in engaging in those mediums. I think you can reach a lot of people. I mean, I think that's part. Of, I mean, that's part of why, like, we use this podcast so we can reach people all around the world with the traditional teachings um, and explanations of things. But I, I think at the end of the day, you have to use wisdom. You have to use prudence. You have to weigh like what your duties are. You don't necessarily have an obligation to like if you're walking down the street, shout at every person like you should go to your local SSPX chapel. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I think, you know, you have to use prudence and that's hard. It takes wisdom. It takes prayer. So definitely like pray. Um, and I know that's on there as well. But uh, I would just say just a couple things real quick. So the, the verse you cited, excellently very apt verse, but I would like to focus on one specific part of it, which says be prepared to give an answer for the hope which is in you. Be prepared, because I think to instruct the ignorant, you have to make sure that you're not ignorant. <laughs> And a, a lot of people are not doing that. There's there's a great prevalence of an inability on the Internet to say or an unwillingness, not an inability, an unwillingness to say, gee, I don't know. I almost never see that. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I don't know, or I'll find out, or here is the resource to get that answer. But people don't do that. There's there's definitely a level of pride that – and it's, it's because of a lack of accountability – there's a level of pride that it seems to exist on the internet and people that in person and, and David and I can both personally attest to this. People that we interact with in person will act completely differently when engaged with on the internet. So I we do have, that. <laughs> I think most people do. I think most people do. Now the, the extent to which it happens varies obviously, but I think a lot of people do. So we need to be mindful of that. And we, as David just said, we definitely include ourselves in this. I mean, I know that I, I, I have a tendency at times to go off on the internet too. And, <laughs> But the difference is I think I will do that to you in person. So don't don't test me. Don't test me. <laughs> yeah, Chris will uh, Chris will do it in person as well. Um. <laughs> All right. So um, I guess to counsel the doubtful. Now, how, how would you distinguish that necessarily from instructing the ignorant? What's the distinction there? It could be a fuzzy line, but I think ultimately the ignorant is somebody who just doesn't know. The doubtful is somebody that does know, but they're questioning. And I don't mean when I say no, I don't necessarily mean being stubborn, but it's kind of it could be kind of like, you know, if, if somebody has never heard of, you know, why we pray to saints, for example, like they're like, huh, why do you do that? That's kind of weird. Um, they would be ignorant. Um, I have a, a, an acquaintance who I um we used to tutor who was um, texting me the other day for kind of the first time in a long time. And he was actually, he actually didn't know that I had converted. Um, last time he knew me, I was not, I, I was not actually Catholic. And he had a bunch of questions. Um, one of them was kind of like, why would you guys, you know, pray to saints? Like, I don't think he was really somebody who really even understood why we do that. Um, on the other hand, there could be somebody who, you know, is Catholic, but starts having doubts because they heard like, you know, a Protestant argument they found kind of compelling. You know, they listened to Jordan Cooper. I, I think my argument was better than his, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, listen to Jordan Cooper. And, and we're kind of like, you know, well, why, I'm not wondering, like, it seems like he's arguing like in the early, the earliest saints um, didn't do it. And by the way, if you're thinking that, listen to my refutation of Jordan Cooper, um, Chris will put it in the description of the episode, but um, you know, it, it, it's like, um, Basically, ignorant would mean you just haven't been informed on the subject, whereas doubt would be more like, I think you have been informed, but you're questioning. 
Great distinction. 100%. Okay, so th- this next one is definitely something that, and again, I'm going to include myself, that a lot of people are getting wrong on the internet. So it's to admonish the sinners, because I think a lot of people think this means just saying, you idiot, like, <laughs> that's wrong, stupid. But it, in fact, uh, that's not what it is, is it, David? I think that, first of all, I would be inclined to see this as a situation where someone is unrepentant because you don't want to beat somebody who's already down. Like if somebody's kind of like, all right, I already know I screwed up. I need to go to confession. I need to make my life better. Um, I, I feel like that would be more of a forgiveness or counsel type situation. But I think this is dealing with somebody who is obstinate in their sin. And again, it's according to place and station. I mean, you have to use prudence. You can't just shout at everybody. But I, I think definitely we have more of an account. I think we have more of a responsibility to people who are in the church and people who are not in the church. First um, Corinthians 5 gives us some of the principles there. And I don't think you can exactly apply First Corinthians 5 as written because that does mandate some level of authority. But nonetheless, I think there's some principles there. You know, if somebody if Joe Biden's going around saying I'm a Catholic and yet I support abortion. That's obviously more pressing of a situation than somebody who's saying, you know, I'm an atheist and I support abortion. Still bad either way, like inexcusable. But because Joe Biden is claiming falsely that he's a Catholic, that gives us more of a obligation. Now, obviously, I don't know Joe Biden. Um, If I knew somebody who took the positions of Joe Biden, I would be much more quick to admonish them. I'd be like, look, you're saying you're part of the church. And yet you're blatantly going against what the church says or somebody's living in a homosexual relationship. They're saying they're Catholic. That's obviously a more pressing situation to rebuke than if, you know, uh, Bob and Steve are both, uh, you know, atheists or something. Um, Does that make sense? It does. And the the example of Joe Biden is a very good one, because being that he's a public figure, we're also talking about incurring scandal. Um, So the necessity to admonish publicly is also there. And and I I just want to mention one other thing is that – a lot of people think that for some reason or another, our, our, our prelates are above this. But St. Thomas would teach us that is it's a duty of a good Catholic to admonish even a bishop when they are in error, especially if they're teaching so publicly. He doesn't even exclude the pope, and um, Paul rebuked the first pope. That's right. So a lot of these arguments you see, like, you know, you can't, you can't say anything to a bishop you have to respect them yeah of course you respect them no one judges the pope yeah you don't judge the pope you don't sit in judgment of him but you can certainly admonish him and speak out against him when he's teaching nonsense which seems to be this is kind of a brief aside um and i i know and i'm not going to fully unpack this right now but it's just kind of an aside i think that that what you just said about like not judging the pope that not meaning you can't rebuke him i really do think that points to the truth of what is commonly called the recognize and resist position. Again, I prefer recognize and ignore, but that hasn't really caught on. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I think that that really does show that that's a better position than either the kind of blind, like, you know, well, the Pope said it, so I got to do it. If the Pope says I got to worship a cat, I got to worship a cat. <laughs> um, if the Pope says Pachamama isn't idolatry, then it's not idolatry. Um, or else on the flip side, like the Sedificantist answer of like, well, why would I submit to a heretic? Yeah, very good point. Yeah, I, I wish more people understood this. I really do. Because, you know, I, I think – and this is another aside. I think where we're, we're getting mixed up is people hear a lot about obedience being a virtue a, and a, a very high virtue, and that's true. But it's not a blind obedience in the Catholic faith. 
Um, Faith and reason have to go together. Thank you. Exactly. All right, David. So the next one is, again, this is hard, and this is hard on the internet. Okay. <laughs> so the next one, the next one, David, is to bear wrongs patiently. I mean, these are all ones that just the internet makes a mess of. So to bear wrongs patiently, what 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 does that kind of practically look like? And I'm, I'm actually going to ask you the same thing for the next one when we get to it. What, what do these practically look like? How does it manifest itself? How do I know that I'm bearing a wrong patiently? I mean, again, you have to use prudence, but I think err on the side of giving grace. You know, if somebody does something wrong to you, you know, forgive 70 times 7. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think that you have to keep just toxic people in your life that are constantly, like um, – making your life absolutely miserable. I mean, I think that there is a component of Jesus says be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But unless somebody is just, you know, like clearly showing that they are obstinate or that they are unwilling to engage in a normal interaction with you, I I think you err on the side of, you know, if somebody screws up, you know, you give them the benefit of the doubt and you say like, okay, like that was wrong, but I'm not going to, like treat kind and kind and in no case do you get revenge vengeance is mine says the lord um so even if in an extreme case you have to say you know i can't really interact with this person or can't interact with them in the same way like you still don't take vengeance or take matters into your own hands um you just kind of say i mean if it does get to that point you just kind of say you know look i'm gonna pray for you but right we're not gonna get into this now but we will in a future episode but just i know i have to mention it because someone's gonna say something this vengeance it's mine, says the Lord thing, does not apply to a just application of the death penalty. So we're not going to fully get into that now. But I I'll briefly want... address it, actually, like for like 30 seconds. Sure. But, but um, I mean, right after that, Paul says that in Romans 12, the very next chapter, he talks about governing authorities having the sword and not bearing the sword in vain um, because they're God's ministers. So, I mean, it's kind of obviously in that context, I was talking about like individual interaction family church and state all have a bill have the right to engage in retribu- retributive justice in certain ways and i think this would be a good topic for a future episode yeah but, absolutely uh, but, but but bottom line yeah i'm not talking about like if a judge says you know you just shot 20 people i'm sentencing you to death that's not what i'm talking about here right very good okay so now moving on to the next one as i said I, i'm gonna just basically ask you the same question to forgive, and I think it's more applicable maybe with this one than even the previous one. So to forgive offenses willingly. First of all, how do I know that I've done that? Can I know that I've done that, or is the intent to forgive sufficient? I think you can know that you've done that. I mean, are you harboring a grudge against this person? I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to interact with every single moron on Facebook. I mean, like, obviously, you know, I, again, it's prudent. I think it's prudence when it comes to what level of interaction you're going to have with a given person. And that affects, that's based on our station in life, our duties of state. Um, You know, obviously somebody at church is going to be, it's going to be a much more grave thing to break a relationship with somebody that goes to your church as opposed to, you know, some random in Idaho on Facebook. Um, You know, unless you live Mm -hmm. in Idaho, but I I don't. Um, But, you know, um, But I think ultimately, in terms of forgiveness, I think that that kind of is universally applicable in the sense that if you're holding a grudge against somebody, if you're just holding it in, if you're refusing to forgive a person, I think that would apply whether it's somebody local or not. Now, again, you don't have the same interact. You don't have the same obligation to interact with a random guy in Utah as you do with your parents. 
But, you know, I, I think the principle of not, like, holding a grudge would still apply. Yeah, and I just want to stress also, in reference to this, that the church and the faith are not about feelings. You might not feel the metaphorical great weight lifted off yourself when you choose to forgive someone. But choosing to forgive them and doing your best to not harbor the grudge that David is speaking about is is what you're aiming for. So unless you're consciously thinking horrible things about this person after supposedly forgiving them, if you have some kind of bad feeling, if you think about them, that doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them. That's that's right. that's being human. That's normal. So don't beat yourself up too much about it, but just make that choice to forgive and not hold a grudge over. I think one thing to consider is, um, and I'm not saying this is like the only thing, but can you pray for this person and for their salvation? Because if you're hoping for that person's eternal ruin, you definitely haven't forgiven them. Um, if you're wishing misfortune on that person, that's not forgiving them. Yeah. And that's, that's, that could be super hard. I mean, it's, it's incredibly difficult. I'm sure for a lot of strong Catholics to imagine praying for the salvation of, of Joe Biden, just to bring him up again. But it's what we're required to do. We don't have to like him. We no. can recognize that what he does is horrible. But we should ultimately want him to be converted and end up eventually in heaven. Yes. Um, remember, which can sound crazy. Sounds crazy. But that's, And remember you know. that whoever you are, God has forgiven you of so much more because we are sinful creatures. Um, I think of the parable of the 10,000 talents – um, the master who would represent God um, is owed 10,000 talents, which I believe in modern money might have been something like six billion dollars. I, I, I've heard or like 200,000 years of wages. I've, I don't know how accurate those numbers are, but that's something. But I mean, it's, it's an immense sum of money regardless. And the servant is like, well, I can't pay it. And the master says, well, you're forgiven. And then he goes out and won't forgive his neighbor who owes him a smaller amount. I believe it was 100 denarii, which, I again, I've heard is like something like eight months wages or something like that. So it's a lot of money. It's not that it's like insignificant, but it's insignificant in comparison to what he was forgiven of. And in the same way, what, what our neighbor did to us might be horrible in our minds, but it's still insignificant in comparison to what we did to God. And the other thing I, I think people should bear in mind is um, no one ends up in heaven that doesn't belong there. So if you make it to heaven, God willing, and you see Joe Biden there, that means that even though you may not have witnessed him do it publicly, at some point before he died, he had a true conversion to Jesus Christ, and he belongs in heaven. So that's what we should be praying for. It's not like you're going to find someone in heaven, and they're still going to be the sinful creature that, that they were on earth that did all the terrible things that make you so aggravated. If they're in heaven, they belong there. Amen. Okay, so next is to comfort the afflicted. Um, so that's another one that I would say is self-explanatory, but you, you might have something that you want to get into about that. Do you have something on that? I guess it's kind of the spiritual equivalent of visiting the sick in the sense that, you know, sick would kind of imply like physical, whereas affliction would kind of entail like mental. But I mean, I will say it can have similar effects. I mean, if depression, if like something like chronic depression is bad enough, like it can have a similar manifestation to being physically sick. So Comforting the afflicted is definitely just as important as visiting the physically sick. Okay, Dave, now this this final one I think is one where it's easy to get into a distinction between Catholics and, and Protestants, and it's to pray for the living and the dead. So why would that run us into trouble with some of our uh, Protestant friends? Because a lot of the Protestant confessions say not to pray for the dead. Um, I particularly have in mind the Westminster Confession, which was what I subscribed to in the 
two years prior to my phase of doubt, which ultimately led me out of Protestantism and home to the Catholic faith. But, um, you know, I, I think, well, the primary reason we pray for the dead, and this is what the church has dogmatically taught, is that if souls are die dying in a state of venial sin or they're dying in a state where they still have some attachment to sin, but they are in the good graces of God, they go through purgatory as a way to prepare them for heaven. And we pray for the dead in order to give them additional graces to get through purgatory, which obviously Protestants would not believe in. Right. But it is it is now I know that this is some people say it's a little playing a little loose with it, but there is scriptural basis for this, right? Yeah, there's a couple of different things. Number one, um, I think it's I forget if it's first Corinthians three or second Corinthians three. I'm kind of blanking on that. Um, but Paul says that uh, if anyone builds on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, wood, hay and stubble. Those things will be burned up, but he himself will be saved and only as through fire. Now, we know, and we talked about this previously, we know that wood, hay, and stubble can't be mortal sin. Because the Bible talks about there's a sin that leads to death. It says that fornicators and adulterers and murderers, etc., etc., won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. But this is talking about somebody who, and you don't want to be presumptuous about this, but somebody who maybe was less than zealous about getting rid of the venial sins in their life, or they were maybe like... You know, like they died in a state where they still have some attachment to sin that they're fighting. They can be saved, but only as through fire. I mean, it is a bit vague, but I don't know what else that can mean. I will also say that, although I know Protestants don't accept this, um, most of the early church councils did. Um, and certainly the dogmatic Council of Trent accepts it. The deuterocanonical book of Second Maccabees explicitly says it is a praiseworthy thing to pray for the dead. Right. That's uh, probably one of the primary reasons why a lot of Protestants just conveniently removed that, just yeeted it right out of their. <laughs> I mean, I think modern I think modern Protestants just take for granted that it was that it's not part of the canon. But ultimately, I think that's why the the quote unquote reformers removed it originally. Right. Okay, David. Do you have anything else on the works of mercy, or or does that do it? I think that about does it. Um, I do have. I do have some sources to recommend that talk about them, but I don't think I really have the time to break them down in this episode. So first of all, I have some links to the Catholic Encyclopedia of 1907 through 1912 that gets into some good information about this. And also um, I have a couple articles from the Summa about um, about the spiritual effect of almsgiving, which I think are helpful for people to read. So I would definitely say we should link those. Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I don't. But I think that for this basic overview, like I think it's best for us to kind of stick with what we have, and then kind of give people those resources if they want to read more. Right. So right, I will link um, all the resources that David mentioned in the description of this podcast. And um, yeah, so that'll do it. Once again, this is the Anything But Catholic Apologetics podcast, our deep dive episode. Later in the week, we will release our Q and A episode. And speaking of that, we need your questions. So if you are a Protestant, primarily we are aimed at evangelizing our Protestant friends. If you're a Protestant has a question about why the Catholic Church teaches what it does, believes what it does, prays in the way it does, etc., send any and all of those questions to cquavertus at protonmail.com. That's S-I-Q-U-A-V-I-R-T-U-S. And protonmail is P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L. Dot com. You can also submit questions to us 
in the Facebook group, and please join our Facebook group. So the group is facebook.com slash groups slash anything but Catholic. That's all one word. You can also find on there updates, the latest episodes, um, threads and discussions about previous episodes, etc. cetera. Uh, and please visit our main site, cclawvertus.com. You can find the full range of our content, all back episodes of this podcast, the SQV podcast, which discusses arts and the culture through a traditional Catholic perspective. We have listener and reader submitted artwork, writing, short stories, essays, photography, music, etc. And we're always looking for submissions of all those things and more. If you are a Catholic and you create anything, we want to put it on sequavertus.com. Please send those in the same manner. And David, you have a uh, pretty big update about an upcoming debate. Is that right? Can you tell us about that? Yes. So the debate with John Wesley Bush III will be on February 21st, 2021, um, at the same time that we said previously, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, that will be on Zoom. And the topic is scripture is not the only infallible authority for the church. I'll be affirming. John will be denying. I now have the meeting ID of the passcode. The ID is 473-799-4809. And the passcode is debate. <laughs> That's easy enough to remember. Okay, great. And we will link all that in the description of this podcast, unless I just forget, and then, you know, we won't. (laughs) No, I will. I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay, so that that is it for this episode of Anything But Catholic. Thank you all for listening. Pray your rosary. Send us your questions, and we will see you in the future. Bye-bye, David. Bye.